0: Welcome to Rockstar Violinist, but Matt, that's not a violin I'm hearing right now. No it's not. This is actually the second episode we've done featuring someone who is not a violinist. Bonus points if you can tell me who the first one was in the comments. Matt Vanacoro is the keyboard player for Mark Wood. He has also recorded, accompanied, and collaborated with some of the most incredible violinists on earth. He owns Vanna Studios writes for Ask Audio Magazine, helps design keyboard and guitar rigs for some of the biggest touring acts in America, and teaches music tech and film scoring at Bedford Central School District in New York. In short, Matt knows what he's talking about. We've had so many questions at Electric Violin Shop about recording, sponsorship, and touring that I knew I had to sit down with one of the most knowledgeable guys I know on those topics. So on to our interview, with Matt Vanicoro. is Maybe just tell people who you are and, and why we would want to interview you, a keyboard player, on the Rockstar Violinist podcast.
1: You got it. You got it. Well, my name is uh, Matt Vanacoro. Uh, I'm a keyboard player for uh, Mark Wood, and that's how uh, Big Matt Bell and I here hooked up. And I have recorded and produced and worked with, accompanied just about every major electric violinist in over the last decade or so as uh one of the side uh perks I guess of being in the Mark Wood band is that you get to play with every other major electric violinist like in the world right so uh you know yeah man it was really uh it's cool i uh i do i, I do enjoy getting to work with all your all your pals that have been on this show and uh, you know, I've, I've worked on a lot of their albums, you know, engineered stuff for them, for you, of course, the, your, uh, illustrious new release, which I'm definitely digging. It's actually kind of, it's crazy to not hear that stuff for a while and then hear it. And then uh, these are, right? actually, these are really good tunes, man. I miss this stuff. This is good stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I think my favorite is tantrum. I think it's just cause I'm a weird, I teach kids. I guess that's why <laughs> I, I like that one. But um, it's, uh,
0: you know, every now and then you just gotta you gotta sort of decide. You know what? I'm gonna throw the little two year old temper tantrum, and it's not just two year olds. It's it's all of us. They get to throw the tantrum.
1: Absolutely. But uh, anyway, yeah. So I've, I taught at uh, the Mark Woodrock Rock Orchestra Camp for a long time. Uh, everything from you know jazz improvisation to recording violin, uh, bringing your rig live with you, uh, and I guess uh, you know I've been. Uh, sort of the guru on uh, a lot on getting your sound without amps, but uh, helped out a lot with getting your sound with amps too, and even gotten some of the the big, uh, you know, you'll take my amp from my cold dead hand, Chuck <laughs> Bontrager, to 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 look at the go, yeah, you know, I guess technology's not so bad sometimes. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I have a lot of experience in in that venue, and uh, you know, I've taught, uh, I teach uh, at a middle school, I teach a rock program at the middle school and I integrate a lot of rock string players in that program. So, um, you know, I've, I've been doing it for a long time and I brought a lot of the, uh, a lot of the heavy hitters to my school as well, which is kind of nice. So there's my, there's my resume for your pals.
0: Yeah. You're also, uh, you're also a tech blogger, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I've written for ask audio for about six, seven years now. I make a lot of tutorial videos for Mac pro video and ask uh, a lot of stuff on you know music production, virtual instruments, mixing, things like that. And uh, I find myself now, I mean, I can't even list all the companies that I do that stuff directly for. So a lot of companies will send me some instruments. I'll test them out. I'll you know whether it's pedals or virtual instruments or physical instruments, and sort of consult on them, you know on while they're while they're building, or you know to make uh, suggestions or to make videos to show people how to use them uh, for their website, like web content, stuff like that. It's kind of crazy. It's, I, I tell my students a lot about it and say like, this job didn't even exist when I went to school. So, <laughs> so, uh, it's, uh, keep, keep your mind open kids when you, uh, when you, when you get your degree.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is that you have been on the forefront of tech for, for so many years and maybe talk about content creation and, um, just technology and how that's affected the music business and maybe how that would be relevant
1: to string players in 2019 or 2020. So, you know, one of the things that's cool is that tech can sometimes affect all of us in the same way. It's like the, uh, the elements and the things that you want to know about are very transferable, you know, no matter what instrument you are. And especially now when the music business is changing. I wrote, I wrote a very polarizing article. I probably got the most likes and dislikes at the same time, <laughs> like anything I ever wrote for Ask Audio a while back about how the music business isn't bad, it's just different. Um, and the way that you want to make a living now as a musician is fundamentally changed. I mean, you know, obviously you could write a basic article just on how, you know, the, things got flipped around. You used to make money off of your recording, and then you would tour to support the recording. And now it's backwards: you make no money off the recording, and you use the recording to get people to come out to your tour, where you sell a bunch of merch and you make a ton of money, you know, at the at the show. And uh, that's the basic, you know, sort of area of it. But the most successful musicians that I know today, the ones that are you know young and up and coming, are the ones that embrace technology that that know how to use it in so many ways that know how to use it to foster relationships with their instrument company that know how to use it to manage their own social media. Um, that knew they know how to use it to promote themselves as an artist. And you, you got to know all that stuff to, to hustle now. I mean, you have to hustle now and you had to hustle before, but you have to do a different kind of hustle now. And the kind of hustle you have to do now relies a lot on technology. Yeah, you know? for sure.
0: So, um, I guess what advice would you give to, to string players who are trying to get into
1: content creation then? So, you know, learning a lot about recording yourself is really important because even if you're going to go to a studio, you know, to put everything in someone else's hands, uh, especially if you're an electric string player, what studio are you going to go to that has a lot of experience with recording electric violins? There's like five of us right, <laughs> like in the country, you know? So, it's like if you don't wrap your hands around your sound and the technology that makes you sound the best, you're you're leaving a lot of like shooting in the dark up to these engineers. Like they're gonna try to run you through their guitar chain and not really know what it is you have to do to make the violin sound better in an electric, you know, forum. So if you don't know all that stuff, um, you're, you're really walking in at a loss whether you're walking into a studio and obviously you can't do it on your own if you don't know that stuff either you know and the, the best thing is the, the, I guess the the biggest piece of advice I can give to these young violinists is like knowing your gear inside and out because that that's more important than whatever you're using you know we are de- we're at the forefront now I'll I'll, I'll be polarizing this will get you a lot of like angry clicks and happy clicks oh like, good we like we, any
0: you know, clicks we like angry or otherwise
1: you know we are at the point where if you are good, you can make it so that people can't tell if you're using an amp or not. If you are good at what you do and you have a good engineering, like you can do it. We are there. We weren't always there, but we're there now. I know that people are like, no, like they will always be, you know, my amp sound, what? dude. No, it doesn't. We can fool you. Like it can happen now, but that comes with a big caveat. I have a lot of amps in my studio. I love my amps. And I love my amps because I know how to get that sound out of them and they're already set for that sound. And it is way more convenient for me to plug into my Mesa boogie and record. like I've got that chain set up. I've been playing through that chain through a guitar for years. Like I, I know how to get a great sound out of my Mesa amp. So it is faster for me to get to point B if that's what I want to do. Now, if I wanna get like a big Marshall stack sound, I don't have a Marshall here, trying to get that Mesa to get that type of sound with pedals and all the stuff I have, like it takes a long time compared to using a virtual sound that again, I also know inside it out. It's not that the plugin is better. It's that I know the plugin like, like I know my own instrument. I know the plugin like I know how to play the C scale on a piano. I've, I've sat down and done, you know, I've used it like hundreds of times. That's the thing. Like a lot of people can fall into gear addiction and I, I have a friend, I have a guy like he's like a guitarist in a rock band and all he does is buy, buy a new pedal, eBay, the old one buying like every week we're joking. Like, like dude, how long is that pedal going to last? Like three weeks. If you do that stuff, like you can't learn it enough. Like you don't have it long enough to learn it. You know, I. Like I I I'll, I'll laugh at people like whether, whether it's the helix or the fractal, like like oh yeah I got the I got the helix but I just couldn't you know get the sound I wanted out of it. I'm like well the only answer to that is you didn't spend enough time with it, because no I I could I could make a blender sound like a freaking electric guitar through the helix. Like you know yeah. <laughs> if it 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 might take a long time but you know you can do it. So knowing your gear inside and out is important. Like I I'll see a guy who I had a guy come in. And bring an old amp that he bought, you know, he, he has a, there's always a story. He's like, I got found in a garage sale. It's amazing. Like this Ampeg, you know, amp, and it sounds so great. And he, you know, plugged it in and like, he didn't know anything about tubes. had no idea that it even had tubes. I'm like this tubes I've been replaced in like 40 years. It sounded terrible. It was buzzing. I'm like, like, you know, old doesn't equal good. Like this could be good if you maintained it. Like if we did all this, 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 and this to it. So when he brought that into the studio, I said, dude, like let's not, (laughs) let's plug you into, you know, whatever I was using at the time, you know, amp farmers, you know, some amp simulator. Here we go. Let's try that. And he's, Oh my God. It's like so much. I said, I know like this, this is a good amp, but it's still, you picked it up off the side of the road. Like you got to do a lot of work to it. And, and I helped him out. I actually, you know, we went online. I'm like, all right, you should buy these tubes. You know, you got to replace the power amp tubes, but you also got to replace the main tube, you know, the preamp tubes. And like, here's a forum that shows you, like, these guys talking about what the different tubes, what kind of effect they have on each one. Like, you play a Telecaster, so that's going to affect this. And it's like, if you don't know all that stuff about your own gear, then you're not gonna be effective in any studio situation. So I don't care if you're using a fractal, if you're using a a laptop with main stage and guitar rig, or if you're using an actual Marshall Stack. If you know that piece of equipment inside and out, you'll get the sound that you want. And if you don't know it, uh, at least be aware enough to shut up and find someone who does and have them show you. (laughs) Like that's the best thing I can do. Here's a clip of
0: Matt playing Vulcan Worlds with Mark Wood. Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about this at camp, that it's that's one of the things you got to know what you know and you have to know what you don't know. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, I, I, you know, uh, at some point, I guess it all does have to do with money in the music business. like. But when at some point you get financially secure enough to not care if people are going to judge you and you're not going to get this job or that job based on whether or not you're able to talk about vintage jams. Like, I couldn't tell you what tube's I have in my, my Mesa Boogie right now. I don't remember off the top of my head. I replaced them two years ago. I know that at the time, like I know enough to know I, I'm calling my guy. <laughs> so like, you know, okay, you know, like what, listen, man, you know, I'm playing a, a Taylor. It's a semi-hollow body. Uh, you know, the, the sound I want to get is this. And, you know, and, and he's like, you know, ready to go to Russia. And <laughs> he's like, you got to get these. These are the ones. And like, we did a little research and there you go. Like, so you know, knowing and and not BSing about that kind of thing is important. Like, because otherwise, you know, you're just, uh, it's like picking up an old record player and going like, well, I want to, I want to listen to vinyl. It sounds so much better than, you know, the modern stuff, but you're playing it on an old $20 record player through a crappy set of speakers. Like, that's not the way it works. <laughs> you, you need the knowledge before you can make the most out of whatever piece of gear like whatever piece of gear it is if you don't have the knowledge it's it's just not going to happen i i remember i remember you know before i learned that lesson i remember trying to talk another guy who came in the studio years ago um uh, uh, to using my like you know plug-in chain that i had and he had uh he had i'm trying to remember which line i think it was the pod 500 like oh yeah i had one of those
0: the hd 500
1: yeah, I mean, wasn't even maybe it wasn't even that it couldn't have been that mono because this is my old house. So maybe it was a black pod pedal and it was like an early one, and I remember because I hadn't gotten a really good sound out of it. I was like selling them really hard, like just come on, man, just plug right in. We'll use the plugins, and this guy, like he's, it sounded like Peter Gabriel coming out of that thing, man, like the best like Prague, cool glassy guitar sound that sounded like it was, you know, with a Roland Jazz Chorus amp and there were no amps in the room and I'm and I felt like an idiot and then that's when I started to go like, you know what man? You got like if you know your gear, you'll be better than someone who who has more expensive gear but doesn't know it. It's yeah. just it's that simple.
0: Yeah, for sure when when you mixed my CD, we were sitting in uh sitting in your studio and I was just I was blown away by how fast you could you could do one thing or another thing and it, it's clear that you've spent hundreds and hundreds of hours doing that
1: Oh, thank you yeah i mean you know look i do review a lot of stuff and i do have to try a lot of stuff but i really do try to like you know i i I, the funny thing is that like i get good at this stuff because my home movies and stuff the sound must be like impeccable i'm using like these astounding plugins on like you know, my kid's hockey game, like just right. cleaning up the audio. <laughs> but, but I use the same stuff all the time the same signal chain. Like, and I really, until I know it inside and out. And, you know, you know, it, you know that vibe too, because the tracks that you send me, like we didn't really touch your violin tracks too much. Like you have, you know, the Helix plug-in, like you know how to get what you want out of that plug-in because it's your pedal and you live that friggin' pedal. Like you're doing gig after gig after gig after gig with that pedal. If you don't know how to, you know, if anyone knows how to get a good violin sound out of the Helix by now, it's Matt Bell. Like, you know, so that's what that's one of the reasons why, like, when I prioritized, I'm like, that's the last thing I'm going to worry about. Like, I'm not going to touch your Helix settings like you, you do the Helix every day. I'll wait for, you know, when you, um, and even a couple of times when we did tweak your violin, you know, I very rarely went into the Helix settings. Like, I'll throw another processor on top of it because I'm like, man... If he could have done this in the, if this was possible to do in the helix, he would have done it like that. You know, that's, uh, that's it. So, uh, you know, that's like, it's just like knowing your own gear, knowing your own limitations and kind of getting, you know, reading the room, you know, I'm again, I'm not, you know, I know a lot about a lot of stuff and I, I have a helix, but I'm, I'm not going to tell you the way the violin should sound through helix. Like, <laughs> this is like your whole life, you know? So it's, it's good though, because that allows me to prioritize and like, I just trust you know, trust my artist and go, I ain't going to even look at the helix settings like they're there. They're where they need to be. I'll think about what can I do on top of this and what can I do for the other things that you, you know, want to approach.
0: Right. Here's a tune by yours truly. It's called exile. This was mixed by Matt in his studio in New York. one of the things that we talked about earlier, I had sent you some, uh, there's actually a little bit of acoustic violin on that, uh, on that project. And, and that was, uh, one of the, some of the feedback I got from you was like, Hey, talk to me about how you recorded this acoustic. I'm like, well, I don't really know how to (laughs) record acoustics. (laughs) I hardly ever do it. And you'd said, you know, let's let's chat sometime about that. So, um, I would love to hear the advice that you've got for recording acoustic violins
1: and, and share that with the folks that are listening. Sure. Well, you know, look, there, the first thing I would say is what we've been driving home, phone a friend, <laughs> you know, like that's, if I, you know, if you and I are here and we're working on something, you know, we can, we've got the time to experiment and break out the mic closet and, you know, do all that stuff. If I'm going to go on location or I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to, you know, Rachel wants me to track something for her. It's really important. We're going to go, you know, like, and. I've only got one shot at it. I'm phoning a friend, you know, I'll call, uh, actually, you know, who's great as a, another former uh, Mark Wood, uh, I'll do a shout out to Jenny Nelson. She's a, a classical uh, mix engineer right now and she's fantastic. She's a Mark Wood camp, uh, camper, like for about a year or two and she was a pianist and sort of like uh, shadow interned me for about a year because uh, she was uh, doing, going to college up here and she's like, you know, the guru on on recording that stuff. So I would say first, you know, is that I don't, you know, I have I record acoustic instruments all the time, and it is definitely something I do. Um, but you you should definitely phone a friend, number one. Like if if you want to get some really really cool stuff, um, you know, the first thing is I think of is what do I have to work with in terms of the instrument. Condition your instrument. You know, I'm not going to record a drum set without tuning it. I'm not going to record a violin without going through and making sure that you know the instrument itself. I'll tell the artist like, listen, you're the violinist you got to get all the squeak and all the stuff out of this first, you know, clean it. Have you, have you not cleaned it in a while? Like all that stuff, like it makes a difference. You know, it really does. Like if there's you know, rosin goo underneath and things like that, like anything that can impact the experience, start with the instrument. Always. I do that for guitars. I check the strings on the guitar. Like I'll, I'll you know, look over the top of my glasses. When's the last time you changed these, you know, let's take a look, you know? Um, so it always, it always starts with the instrument that's recording. Uses the same philosophy as computer programming, which is garbage in, garbage out. For sure, and and that's it. So I start with the instrument, and then the second thing is I'll I'll look at the environment. Where you know where are we recording it? So do you have access to a room? Uh, if you don't have access to a room that is wonderfully acoustically treated, like right behind you, um, you know, then then what can you do to deaden the room? You know, can we can we through? Dude, I've used in a, in a pinch. I recorded strings for a pop album. There's a pop album. If you want to, you want to laugh, I'll give it up now because I think the record company is now bankrupt anyway. So who cares? Like I can't get in trouble. Um, Jordan Knight from new kids on the block. Uh, I actually recorded one of his solo albums. I arranged and recorded the strings for like his single and they didn't have a budget for like a big orchestra and I literally recorded the album with string players in my bathroom. I was in my first house, like I'd just gotten married. We had a small like 900 square foot house and I made two big mistakes. First of all, the tune was in D flat and I didn't argue. So every session string player that I came in was just so pissed off and why couldn't I rewrite it, at least rewrite it in harmonically. So, you know, you learn this was pre Mark Wood days. <laughs> and, uh, I, and then secondly, like this is what I got, like, okay, I got, a, I got like, you know, nine string players. I can have four in my you know front room that was serving as a studio at the time, two in the bathroom, like some in the living room, And, you know, thankfully I didn't have kids at that time. So it was like everywhere was quiet back in the day. But yeah, I mean, so the second thing after, you know, the instruments, I said, okay, I I, I can't get everyone in my room. So here's what I'm doing. I spent like hours going around the house, looking at reflective surfaces and going, okay, we got to cover this one. I threw a blanket over this, you know, the TV, like anything that was like hard and reflective. And I treated the room and, and it made a big difference because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to get that big string sound. I wouldn't have had control. There would have been so much garbage, you know, phasing and, and just, you know, overtones and things you don't want. Like the sound of the room was terrible. So by deadening it up as much as I could, I think I turned my, I think I put my bathroom because was a hard wall right outside my bathroom door. I think I brought my bathroom mattress into the bed bathroom. I brought my bedroom mattress into the bathroom. I put it on my side well, I thought probably thought I was a maniac, but it was like this is what we have to do. So treating the room is is important too. So I haven't even like I haven't even broken out the mic closet yet. You know, it's like right. we're getting the instruments, check all that stuff. Treat the room, um, you know, do that. Uh, but it goes so so just show, to like, be
0: clear, you want the room as
1: dead as possible. Well, I want the room as dead as possible if I don't have a room that is good. So right. you know, if I'm recording in a room that has a great natural ambience you know like like if it's got if it was made for recording or if i'm recording in a church or you know a chapel by the way again just like record players like not every chapel is good for recording you know don't sure. assume just because you're like i could get the church for the week and then you get there and there's crazy flutter echoes that just you know make everything sound terrible so you know i mean if you have a great room with nice high ceiling and plenty of you know and it's and and no you know you got maybe bass traps or there's no standing waves um then you can use that room. But if you don't, if you're, you know, 22 years old, (laughs) newly married in an 800 square foot room, you know, house, and you got to stick string players in your bathroom, then what you need to do is deaden the room so that you can use, you know, ambience plugins like reverb and stuff to, to get it and sweeten it to where, to where you want. It is 20 times harder uh, to remove the sound of a bad room than it is to fake the sound of a good room so you know that's why it's like you know if you don't if, if you're not even sure dead in the room <laughs> dead. if you're not sure dead in the room and then you can add you know a little bit of silky reverb later on you know a nice tasteful amount but you know one thing you can't do is like remove the the like phase cancellation you get because there's standing waves in the corner of this room or something like that, you know, you just, you recorded garbage and the garbage is there. All you can do is enhance the garbage. So, um, so if you're gonna, if you're gonna, you know, I'm assuming like, look, if they're that, I, I guess I would say dead in the room because anyone listening to this podcast probably is not a professional recording engineer with a giant, amazing room. (laughs) So, you know, if, if they are, then they don't need to listen to me, you know, they know what to do. So if you, if you're asking, then the answer is, yeah, you probably want to dead in your room. I mean, even my, you know, studio in my house, which I spent a lot of time, um, you know, checking out for standing waves. I've used mirrors. Like I literally in my mixing area, you know, I'm putting a mirror down on in front of me to see if I can see my speakers so I can check to see if I'm getting reflections I don't want. And like, even with all that stuff, I still know my, It's I'm in a house, you know, it's a great room in the house, but it ain't a room. You know what I'm talking about when I say like a room. So yeah, if you don't have a room and that's in, you know, capital letters with quotes, right. then you, then you got to deaden what you have so that you can add in your, you know, ambience later on. And if then, you're not
0: sure whether you have a room or not, you don't have a room.
1: That's exactly because, yeah, if you, you, you'd you know if you had a room because you probably paid about 50 to 60 grand for the room. And right. I don't know a lot of people that have that kind of disposable income that would forget that they bought a room yeah. <laughs> or, or, or built a room or, you know, or, or whatever. I mean... You know, I'm looking to build a room. So, you know, hopefully next time you uh, come up and visit, we'll be doing that. We're trying to, you know, do it. But even that, it's like, you know, I'm not going to build it myself. I got to gotta phone a friend, bro. Got to phone a friend and get get it done. So you checked your instrument. You deadened your room, okay? And now you can start breaking out the mic closet. Um, and in your, with your mics, I mean, look, for acoustic strings, uh, you know, ribbon mics are fantastic. If you have a good ribbon mic um it all depends on the style of the recording you're going for too i mean you know look any i mean, i recorded with condenser mics um, you know you know AKG C414s are 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 great um, you know there's some great royer condensers that that everybody loves um, you know i don't record acoustic strings enough to make it worth for me to you know drop 4 or 5 grand on a you know a nice matched pair of uh of Roya ribbons or, or something that are, that are like mainly used for recording strings. So I usually make do with my condensers. Um, but you, you want to get, you know, get a good mic, think about the player, you know, because look, tone is in the fingers. And if you get a condenser mic and you're putting it right up on a player that isn't a really experienced player, all you're going to hear is a very loud and amplified version of inexperience. Um, in the fingers. So yeah, I don't want to give that trade secret away now because there's going to be some of our I people coming in and go, Hey man, why you put the mic so far away when Because ah. <laughs> like, I don't want to hear your finger garbage. No reason. No, man, we're trying to get ambience. That's what it is. No. <laughs> but, um, you know, in, in serious, like I've used, I've used ambience and reflections to help cover up. And I've used direct and closer mic techniques to help bring out, you know, it, it all depends. Like when I, when I'm you know, recording Doc Wallace, man, when he comes and I, when he does his, you know, yearly sojourn down here, I mean, I love using, you know, one of my really expensive condensers, like really close. First of all, he's got like a beautiful viola. He's got a beautiful instrument. He has beautiful manly fingers that make it sound beautiful. And I, you know, so like I'll, I'll close mic him and I'll throw some, you know, room mics up too. Uh, but, you know, for everyone it's different. So it depends on like who's playing the instrument. Um, and it depends on the type, you know, look, if I'm recording Earl, you know, our boy like Earl Manin. So if you're listening to this podcast, I I'll, I'll give a shout out to, to Earl. I can't close Mike Earl because he'll knock it down. Yeah, he's he's a, he's a damn maniac, you know. Like, so he gets like a cable and only electric. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. he's moving. He can't, you know. No, but in all seriousness, like, he is. Um, you know, if you've ever seen like his acoustic, you know, quartet play, he's an incredibly expressive player. So I I don't want to get in this way and mess. You know, that's the other thing is that like, I don't want to the player to have to compromise. I would rather have a mic that I wished I could have put an inch closer. But I got the truest, the truest and best performance out of the player than a mic that I stuck right up on them, and they felt that they had to bow a little more reserved because they had to stay right. close to it. You know, so that that's a problem too. Like I don't want to. I do that. I mean, I think about that all the time for drummers and guitarists. Like I don't want to. It's it's like a, it's like Jurassic Park, man. You like you don't want to you don't want to mess with the nature. You want to, you know, Dr. Malcolm said, it's like, it's impossible to observe nature without disturbing it, right? Well, yeah, you have to do it as much as you can. It's impossible to record people without disturbing them. You have to try to get as close as you can, but, you know, not change the performance. So, um, and with that, one of the things you want to think of in your mic selection is microphones and their proximity roll off. That's probably the biggest, um, you know, the biggest thing to think about when you're thinking about what you're investing in. And you know, mics will roll off bass frequencies at a different speed than treble frequencies. So when you're talking about recording a violin, if you have one that rolls off the bass frequencies really fast, um, that violin could sound very tinny unless you get the microphone really close. And there's our problem. You know, I don't want to stick it up right on the right on the instrument. So I wouldn't use an instrument that drops, that has a you know high bass roll off really quick. So like an example, just for people out there in the world, like this, excuse me, this microphone that I'm using, this Shure SM7, you know, one of the things that it or the Electra Voice RE20 is known for is that you could kind of move back and you can kind of move closer and side to side. And there's not too much differentiation in the bass frequencies, like you're not losing bass it's a pretty good wide field not all microphones are like that you know like pencil condensers those little tiny ones um they're much more directional and you move a two degrees off axis and all of a sudden your instrument loses its guts it just gets disemboweled mm. you know so that's why like when i uh when i'm recording um you know these instruments like i i want to give it some space i want to give it some ambience even if i'm dead in the room because I want to get a nice consistent thing that when that violinist is moving around side to side a little bit, that all of a sudden the body doesn't drop out of the instrument just because they moved twenty degrees to their left, you know. Um, so that makes a big difference too. It's like I have—do I have a more expensive condenser? Yeah, like I could be talking to you now on an AKG C414. It's like eleven hundred dollar microphone, but I talking—I'm talking to you on this you know, $400 microphone because what this one does is it doesn't roll off bass at all, depending, no matter where I move. And that's, that's the typical voiceover thing you want. So something like that, like you want to think about that when you're going to pick a mic for your acoustic instrument as well, you want to think about like the bass roll off and, um, you know, the proximity effect and how that's going to affect you and like how far you want a mic, you know, away, um, you know, generally look a great ribbon mic a couple of feet away at a good angle in a nice deadened room. I mean, who's going to complain about that? Any engineer is going to be happy to, you know, be able to sit down and, and work with that. I can tweak that. I can get that going really well. You take a shore SM 57 and you point it at your violin, you move three inches to the left and I'm not going to hear like the guts anymore. I'm just going to hear the squeak of the strings. And that's going to be tough because you can't just compress that and fix it. You got to do like really complicated dynamic compression and, Uh, get in there and and spend hours trying to fix it. And and sometimes you can't. This is
0: Long Time with Chuck Bontrager. That's the thing is uh, is that you're paying your engineer by the hour in most cases. You know, so yeah. the longer he has to spend just trying to get a decent tone out of your instrument, uh, the more expensive that project's going to be.
1: Absolutely. And, I mean, that's why it's great. Again, I just keep going, like, know your gear, you know, and know your microphones. And, I mean, I have string players that show up to my studio with their own microphone, you know, that they like to use to record, and I don't fight them at all. I mean, I know studio guys get very territorial. I'm like, dude, I great <laughs> you have an you have a mic that you know how far away you like to place it and you know you know what kind of sound you get at it like you save us a ton of time and we can get to the music instead of the the you know the button pushing which is yeah, always sure. the best part so you know if you know your own gear that's the thing I mean and that's like that's why it's great to have your own studio stuff and be able to work it because you know even though the guys downtown may have better gear um you're only going to get them for an hour, you know, if, if that's what you can afford, you know, you can afford yourself for a very long time. So if you have a good mic, a good preamp and a good audio interface, like you could do a lot with that. I mean, I, I have friends that record entire albums with one microphone. Like I, I have this, this wild, crazy, my this friend, uh, uh, Israeli dude, this guy, Eyal Amir, he makes these amazing prog videos. Uh, he works for Waves in Israel. but He makes these awesome prog videos with drums, you know, singers. Uh, he's recorded Jordan Rudis uh, on there, like keyboards, all with one microphone. Like the whole thing. Uh, you know, he just does it one track at a time. and But he's he knows that mic. He knows how to make it sound good. The thing sounds like it was mixed at the Hit Factory. Like it, it's, he, you know, he just knows it better than anyone. Um, I mean, obviously he only has one mic. So, <laughs> so right. he knows it really well. But that's... You know, that's what you do. I mean, that's when I, when I have people that start out and they want to get gear and they want to get into recording or record themselves, I'm like, dude, one good mic, you know, good preamp, decent audio interface. Don't go nuts because you're going to upgrade that over the time. You know, your audio interface will change. Your computer's going to change. I got mics in there that I bought from the first studio that went out of business when I was an intern, (laughs) like, you know, 22 years ago you know the re the the electro voice re you know re20 hasn't changed man <laughs> it's, it's right. still good 20 years old and still a great mic
0: <laughs> well if you were going to give a string player maybe some advice and say hey let's let's pick a reasonable budget and uh i, I would say if you're going to get started go get this mic this preamp this interface what what would your advice be
1: so you know in terms of preamps i like uh, there's a couple of them that I like. The Focusrite uh, ISA One is really nice. It's not, it's not like you know crazy, but it's not going to break your budget. It's way, way, way better than any preamp that's going to be built in your audio interface. You know, so the Focusrite ISA One, I don't, I don't remember how much that is now. I think it's got to be like four, six hundred bucks somewhere in there. It could be way off. I don't know. Everyone's probably going to there's gonna be comments under here. Oh, my God, it was $1,000, <laughs> asshole. <laughs> um, but that's a great preamp to, to start out with. It's a single. It's like a lunchbox. It's not a, like, 500 rack-style one, but I, I call it, like, a tote box or lunchbox. It's like a little thing, and you could just desktop mount it. That will never go out of style, you know? Even if you upgrade to a $3,000 preamp later on, you will use that preamp for something else, man. You'll use it for a kick drum. You will use it for a guitar in your studio. What like that? It won't go out of style. You'll love it. So focus right. That's a great one. Um, you know, Universal Audio. Um, I have a I have a 610. Uh, I have a, like a channel strip, an LA 610 that has a compressor, and that that's a nice one too. If you want to spend like a thousand bucks on one, um, or twelve hundred bucks or whatever you know it is, but the 610 is nice too. That I think they make a 610 solo. Where it's just the preamp and it's the same thing like a lunchbox style it's literally a preamp that's like that big everyone who's listening to that it's the size of a lunchbox guys (laughs) um so that's a good preamp to start with in terms of a microphone you know there's a lot of royer ribbons that are not three grand you know so you can look at that um if you're looking for a ribbon mic but you know if it depends like if it's if it's like you like if you're an electric sting player too or you want to be able to do vocals like I would say go the condenser route, you know, and think about an AKG C414 or think about any of the mid-range Neumanns. Like the $500 Neumann is unbelievable. I don't remember the model numbers of them anymore, you know, but it is it is a really great mic for 500 bucks. Like they Neumann does not make a bad one. I I even have the Neumann like handheld live mic and that one was like 400 And even that, it's a handheld condenser. It's like, it's meant for singers live, but it's a condenser you could hold in your hand. It's like insane. Um, You know, those are good. Like, they're really, really fantastic. I mean, you can't go wrong with a Shure SM7. Uh, It's a fantastic mic. I've seen this mic on kick drums. I've seen it on acoustic guitars. Uh, I've seen, you know, same with the EL, um, the Electro Voice RE20. I've seen Stevie Wonder singing into it for vocals. Howard Stern talking into it on over, radio overdub. I've seen someone use it on a snare drum. I've seen someone use it to mic an upright bass. You know, like they, they, they're great mics, and they're going to be twenty times better than like a dynamic mic. You know, like a a short, like an SM58 or something like that. So, getting a decent condenser is great. Getting a a decent ribbon is even greater. It's just the thing with the ribbons is that they are definitely very, like. Most people I know that are using good ribbon mics, they're really focused more towards specific things. Like there are ribbons that are great for drum overheads. You can go on the forums and they'll tell you about these like Russian modified ribbon mics and overheads. Like everyone's using them. Um, You know, and the same thing, like if you go and you just Google violin ribbon mic, you'll probably see the Royer one pop up that everybody likes or, or, you know, another one. Um, But those are like, very much like just for that. You don't really, you know, they wouldn't shine with like a vocalist as much because they're so much more sensitive. And, you know, your vocalist, you're singing a song and you move back an inch and the entire tenor of the song changes and tone of the song changes, you know. So I, I'm always like a proponent of when you're starting out of buying a mic that you could use for everything. Um, you know, would that specific Royer ribbon be better on your acoustic viola? Yeah, probably. But if you picked up a Shure SM7, or if you picked up an AKGC 414, you could literally stick it in front of a guitar amp. You could mic your electric violin. You could mic your acoustic violin. You could sing into it. You could stick two of them in the back of a church and record a choir. Like, you know, I like that stuff. I guess maybe because I'm inherently cheap. <laughs> so yeah. it's just like, I, like, I want to get the most bang for my buck. So if you're starting out, I would say you know, get a versatile mic like one of those that I mentioned rather than going for the specific, uh, you know, of course, unless you are not, you don't sing, you don't play electric violin, like you just want one mic to record only your acoustic violin, then do your research and pick up that good ribbon one, you know, um, in terms of the audio interface, you know, if you have a great preamp, then, then what you're looking to do is probably get an audio interface that just has a line input and is transparent, Um, if you're just recording, if you're going to be doing mixing and stuff, I mean, I'm a universal audio guy. I have tons of universal audio ones. I have the Apollo series, a bunch of them. Um, I like them because I like the plugins, the plugins run on the devices. So it doesn't matter if I'm using an older computer or a newer computer. It's, there's tons of power in them. Uh, you can emulate other preamps with them. But again, if you bought that nice preamp, who cares what the preamps are like on your audio interface, you know. know i don't care that much i don't use a lot of preamps on my audio interface i use these i spent god (laughs) like a kidney's worth of uh, (laughs) money on preamps in my recording studio i'm I'm not using the ones built into my interface not as good as they are and the universal audio ones are very good so i would say that that matters less the um you know some of the lower end focus right ones are very reasonable uh and as long as you have one if you're buying a good preamp and here's the important thing you do want to look into an audio interface that lets you bypass the preamp stage and take only a line level in. Mm. Because you don't want to color that nice preamp sound you got by running it through another preamp. And believe it or not, even on a lot of high-end ones, some of them don't do that. Some of them make it run through its preamp no matter what. I'm like, dude, I'm running this through a really expensive like preamp channel strip. I got the sound exactly where I want and now I'm gonna add in a bunch of garbage harmonics because I'm running a preamp through a preamp. It's like running two distortion pedals. You know, it's not that that sound isn't okay or usable for some things, but it's I paid a lot of money for this one preamp to sound a specific way. Sure. I don't want to color it. So you want to check to make sure that the audio interface you're getting has a line input that lets you bypass the preamp on it if you are buying an external preamp. Now, if you're not, forget all that. <laughs> yeah. Get a universal audio one or get a RME Audio like get an audio interface that has an amazing preamp because you cheaped out and you didn't buy the preamp. (laughs) There you go. Here's some hot water.
0: So now let's, let's pivot. Uh, there was another, um, post that i'd put up not too long ago talking about sponsorships and you're a guy who has a ton of relationships with a ton of different companies and uh so sort sort of talk about you know everybody on my post when i said hey you know anybody interested in talking about sponsorships of course like the whole sky lit up everybody wants a sponsorship (laughs) and i think a lot of people maybe don't understand like what that means to have a sponsor, like, hey, it's, add some legitimacy or whatever. That, that's not at all what that is. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe give your spiel on sponsorships.
1: So I can give you a spiel, and I can give it from two perspectives, from someone who spent a lot of time getting some endorsements and artist endorsements with companies, and then also spent a lot of time working with and for companies to get artists and connect them and, you know, and and be the guy who's trying to help them get some artists, you know, on their roster. So there's a couple of things, you know, number one, you know, obviously, and I think most of the people that listen to your podcast are are pretty literate on this. Like the dreams of I'm going to get a free violin sent to me. I'm going to get a free amp sent to me like that. It's not happening. It's not even happening for your heroes. Not as much anymore. Right. There are people that get free keyboards, you know, that stuff like that and free violins, but you would be surprised at like a lot of high profile acts. And I, I, I set up, um, one of the things I do, one of the biggest aspects of what I do is consult for tours and get tours up and running. And like, so I'll go, I, I worked with um, you know John Karen for Pink Floyd, the keyboardist, and uh, he's with Roger Waters. And like, I go with him and like, help him get his rig set up and get him ready for the tour. Even guys at that level, they'll get gear sent to them and then the company wants it back or they'll get gear sent to them at a reduced price. Like, You'd be surprised at how few people actually get the 100% tons and tons of like limitless free gear. So that's the first thing that I try to get out of people's minds is like, that's, it's not going to happen because what are you going to, like, why would they give you a piece of free gear? And just think about that. Like I I go to them, I go, well, give me your violin. Well, no, I know that's exactly what you're saying. Like, like, why wouldn't you give me your violin? Yeah, you're, I'm a nice gonna guy. I'm gonna do you as much good as you're gonna do, you know, wood violins or fender amps, you know, like that kind of thing. So that's the first thing is like redefining like what what do you want now? Let's talk about like what an endorsement can do for both of you. And that's the thing. If you start with that, you gotta get out of your head what can an endorsement do for me, and think of what can an endorsement do for us, for me and the company that I'm gonna work with. Um I can tell you as someone who has gotten a lot of free gear in his time. Free gear is nice, but you can't you can't eat gear, nor can I feed it to my kids, not that I've tried. I don't call CPS. <laughs> but, you know. Like and free gear is fleeting. It feels really good when a company even the smallest thing. I I you know, I understand that. I totally get it. You get a free cable in the mail and you're like, "Oh my god. You know, this company I'm a it does, Star. it feels good. It feels great. I'm I'm not discounting that. But you know what feels even better is when one of those companies calls you and says, hey, man, you know, you know our gear really well. Obviously, we work together a while. Can you go do a clinic like a lecture at Sam Ash, you know, in the city? It'll pay two thousand bucks. That feels so much better. Yeah. <laughs> like, that. like so, you know, the best thing you can get out of an endorsement is a good relationship with a company and for them to know that you know their gear you use their gear you buy their gear you tell everyone about their gear and that your competence this goes back to the whole social media thing and like you um being good at that stuff because the companies that i get work from they know that i will do good work for them. And that's how our relationship is. And yeah, I get free gear out of it sometimes too. Absolutely. You know, they'll send me a a keyboard and we'll work on a video series and I'll talk about how to do it. And, you know, sometimes they'll say, Hey man, you know what? Keep it. We're really happy with the work you're doing on it. Um, And that's fantastic. But what's more important is the check I got for doing the work and that I got called to do the work at all. And that is part of being a musician now and, and hustling and like doing this. Like, you got to get out there and you got to do it. So you have to like think about, you know, what I think about first is when I'm approaching this company, the gear is the last thing on my mind. I don't care if they're going to send me a keyboard. I, the first thing I think of is, man, how can I work with Korg or how can I work with Roland to, you know, to give me gigs? Like, how can I work with, what can I do for them? Forget about what can they do for me? I go, what can I do for them? What skill set do I have? Like what uniqueness can I bring about, you know, from myself to them that they don't have already? So when I look at their roster and stuff like that, so I, I've approached companies, I'll, you know, pick a a company. And I, I've said like, Hey, you got a lot of these amazing players on your roster, but you know, you have to film all this stuff. Like I have a great studio. I got video. I'm a teacher. I can talk eloquently about this gear. Um, you know, can I just check out this XYZ keyboard for a while? Let me, you know, I'll film a couple of tutorial videos on it or vice versa. I'll find someone who has that keyboard already and I'll just film it and I'll do it. I'll do the work ahead of time and I'll send it to them. Hey guys, I made these, you know, videos using the, whatever it is, you know, the Roland JDXI, it's the keyboard sitting right to my left here. <laughs> um, what I just wanted you guys to check it out. I'll look up their artist relations guy, I'll look up their marketing guy and go, I made this series of videos, you know, that them checking it out and maybe retweeting it or you know reposting it, that is so much more valuable and that builds the relationship. and then you then you have to cultivate the relationship and not let it die. Um, so I can you know I, I offer feedback. I offer the, you know, hey, do you need beta testing? Um, I'm not asking for you to send me the gear. I already own it. I just want you know, if you got new software version coming out for it, I'm happy to beta test it. Like every company, that I do any work for now with the exception of one or two that maybe you know word of mouth someone else in the industry passed my name along but all the major clients I have and all the major companies I'm affiliated with or I I do any work for I started out posting on their bulletin boards and for you you millennials who are all yeah. okay boomering me that is what we had before Facebook and all the rest of the things now there's still bulletin boards there's still boards and stuff like that but I started out by posting on their social channels and just posting a lot and you go, hey, here's what I'm doing with the, with your instrument. Check it out. Here's what I'm doing. You know, here's my presets. Oh, I made a batch of presets for amp settings for the Line 6 Helix, you know, check them out. I just wanted you guys to see them. you know, and stayed active in the boards. And then eventually, you know, one of their moderators or one of the guys from the companies, you know, just kind of about, hey, you know, we're testing out a new, uh, beta version of that software, you know, you want to check it out and maybe, you know, okay. And then eventually that turns into, you know, Hey, like we're actually Helix two is coming out. Um, if we send you one, you want to like, check it out a little bit and maybe film some videos like, and then it turns into, Hey, Helix two is out. I got three music stores in New York. We don't have a guy in New York. Can you go to those music stores and do a clinic on Helix? I'll pay you 500 bucks per, you know, show. Right. And there you go. And of course, if you're an artist, this is fantastic because now you're getting like, they're not going to want you to play copyrighted music. So you're going to get to show up and play your own music to an audience that is there to, you know, hear a player play and to, you know, learn about this, you know, whatever this thingamabob is you're showing and, and you're getting paid and you're getting paid, you know, like think about how much you'd make in a club versus how much you'll make doing a, a clinic at a music store. It's like, you're still playing, you talk a little bit about the gear and You can be enthusiastic about your rig. I mean, people want to hear about your rig, man. You're an electric violinist. You have a cool setup. Sure. People want want to know about that, man. You know, like they love that stuff. I, I, I was on a Mark Wood gig talking for a half hour to this guy about distortion pedals, and we were in Houston. And then afterwards, he told me that he was literally a scientist at NASA. And he was like fascinated by the violin distortion pedal concept. And I was like, you are a million times smarter than I will ever be, sir. Like you're literally
0: (laughs) a rocket scientist.
1: Yeah, literally. So, so these, you know, doing work for these companies, like get, forget this. How can I get a free XYZ? Just get it out of your head. Because, you know, first of all, the amount of time you're putting in, you could have just taught some lessons and bought the damn gear. Right. You know, you could have earned a couple of hundred bucks and bought the gear. But what you can't what you can't replace is a good relationship with a company that can grow over time and be so much more than gear. You know, my relationship with Universal Audio, with Samson and Hartkey, like and Korg, those companies, and in case any of them are listening, I love all you guys. <laughs> those <laughs> companies, though, we've had a great relationship. Like I've never, I've never like Pushed too hard about money and they've taken care of me and you know sometimes I get to keep stuff sometimes like I just go with the flow and I always look at like I do represent my value and when they ask me to do something I always think about it what is my value here what am I bringing to this okay you know they want me to shoot 10 videos on this my value I think you know each of those videos would have been a hundred bucks. you know that's worth a thousand dollars to me and then I can decide, well, do I want the thousand dollars or maybe do I want to keep the keyboard when it's done? And then, then I kind of compute too. Well, how much is that costing them? Maybe I can eke a little bit more, you know, like, um, so you always want to, you know, you want to, you want to have value and assign value to what you do, but you also want to remember, like, you know, I, I these same musicians that are like, Hey man, you know, I, I, I don't want to play this gig for exposure, but like, would you ask your guy who's doing your landscaping or fixing your plumbing, like to do it for nothing. Like that's what you're asking. If you're, if you're going someplace and you're not bringing value, you know, I play gigs for exposure all the time. I play gigs at a, at an event where there isn't money being made. And I am fine with that. You know, I'm not making money and I know someone else isn't making, isn't making money. and That's fine. I'm there to play. I love playing. I'll play. But when there's money being made, you know, if I'm going to a club that is making a significant amount of money that night, then I don't want to be the entertainment unless I'm being compensated because I have value. But there's a difference. You know, it's like if I'm playing a club that there's a huge audience and they don't care who's there, they just need a musician that night, then I expect to be paid. If I'm playing a club that when I go there, it's completely empty. And I didn't bring people. Right. Like, it's why, why should they pay me? I, I have no value. Like, I'm not talking, I mean, I have inherent value as a human being, but yeah. I'm not bringing value for them. It's, it's like, you know, again, it's the same thing that you would expect of service people that anyone that comes to you to work, you know. So that's what you're doing. Like, if you go to a company and go, hey, I really, you know, I, I can post a lot of Instagram videos, but who cares? anyone can post a lot of Instagram videos. Like what else can you do? You know, what else can you do? It's not just going to be, I'm not just going to hashtag, you know, boss pedals. I'm right. going to talk to them and I'm going to talk about fostering a relationship. And just, I mean, a lot of times I'll tell them like, Hey, um, when I start up with a new company, I just want to build a relationship with you guys. And I'm not tell, I'm not asking for any gear. I already own their gear. I'm like, sure. I already have a guy. I'm like, Hey, I use this. I use X, Y, and Z, you know? And I just wanted you to know that like I would love to start a relationship with you guys and then maybe they'll give you artist pricing and artist pricing. People look down, at, you know, they're like, well, you know, that's not really an endorsement because it's what they're giving the music stores. It's the same thing it is. But now you have a relationship with them and now yeah. you can start talking to them and you can start updating them on what you're doing with their gear and showing that you are literate with it and that you're a good soldier for that gear and hopefully you turn that into a relationship down the road. You know, that's the thing I do with NAM every year. Like I set up a whole year's worth of work at NAM. I don't go there I I don't come back from NAM with gear in my hands. And I'm not going to NAM to get signed, which is the stupidest thing I've ever yeah. t- seen. People, you know, go there. I go to NAM to see these guys that at all these companies and shake their hands, ask them how their year went and talk about down the road this year. Hey, what are we gonna to do together? Like, what are we gonna do? What do you guys got coming out? And then they'll say, "Well, we got this coming out." But like, yeah, man, you know, I love that. I love the original version of that. I used it so much. Um, when you guys come out with that, if you need any videos, if you need uh, you know some demo songs, if you need some presets design, you know, just hit me up. And that's it. And then you do that with a lot of people, and then eventually. It'll bite, and then you can foster those relationships. But you know, you can't just f- try to reach out and get free stuff from companies you don't have things from already. I've never gotten an endorsement from a company that I didn't already own a bunch of gear from that company. Like, you know, that's it doesn't work that way. Because right. why would they? Why are they going to send you gear? They're barely even sending freaking Rascal Flats gear. Like, they're not going to send right. you gear. You know, but if you're smart, you can make a relationship and you can get a gig. And that is, you know, way cooler. This is another one of my tunes called It's All Good,
0: also mixed by Matt in his studio in New York. We'll So you work with a lot of young players, I do. um, not only at your school, but also with Mark's camp and through the EYS and, and just, you know, you're connected to a lot of young players. We just got a few minutes left here, but what would be, um, some advice that you would give to some young string players to say, Hey, here's, here's just some
1: general career advice for you. So, you know, the first thing is that is diversify, diversify, you know, it, when I have like string players and I have kids that are in high school, if I have kids that are in high school, they're like, I want to go to, I want to go to a music conservatory because I want to be a classical violinist. I kind of go that, that chip has sailed. If you, you know, how many, how many orchestras can you make a full time living at being a violinist? What are there five in the country that you can get a full time livable wage salary, you know? Um, but being a musician is awesome, you know? So I don't, I don't know that I identify as a keyboard player, I'm a musician. And a musician is like, is so many things from teaching lessons, to consulting on gear, to playing studio sessions, to producing concerts and live events, to you know teaching public schools, teaching private schools, teaching clinics, teaching at camps, um, recording, playing your own music, maybe writing music for you know um, for collections of unlicensed music and selling that music you know for video and things like that. like it's so there's so many things to do now that there weren't there to do before and it's awesome if you're diverse. So learning about modern technology and not writing it off, learning about recording your instrument, learning about, all the alternative ways to play your instrument, like, you know, electronic stuff, improv and jazz, you know, all that stuff. If you're diverse, you can not only make a living wage as a musician, you can have a lot of fun doing it. And that is, you know, that is really great. And, you know, it's, it's, there's a a lot of people are there to, to tell you you can't, you know, there's so many barriers in your way because, so many people don't understand how many options there are now if you're diverse you know people do look at it and go well, what are you going to do as a classical violinist but if you go if you kind of open the door and keep the door really wide as to what being a musician means um it's awesome I mean I I couldn't I I you know before I went to college I spent one summer working in a cubicle at GE and like I did an internship like I could not do it I would never I would have clawed my eyes out like I if I had to do it any longer so like being a musician is awesome and if you have blinders on and you're like I have to be a violinist in the New York Philharmonic then you are going to you probably are going to have a lot of disappointment in your life leading up to that but if you rip those blinders off and think about what being a musician means and say yes to everything, even loosely connected to music, you, you'll always be doing something different and you'll have a great time and it's, and, and you can really make some really cool income in ways you didn't think of, and you can, you know, express your art and express yourself in really fantastic ways. So I would say if you're up and coming, like just don't focus on only being a violinist, think about being a musician and what that means.
0: Yeah, great That's stuff. It. Yeah, man. Hey, Matt, thanks for uh, thanks for agreeing to do this interview. And uh, I'm really excited about this, and I think people are going to enjoy this discussion.
1: Yeah, man. All right, you got it. Well,
0: rock on, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of Rockstar Violinist. That's going to do it for 2019 for us. We've got some awesome interviews planned for 2020, and I can't wait for you to hear them. Have a great holiday season, and we'll see you on the other side with some more rock star violinists.